As we contemplate a new year, as we look and have a whole new year ahead of us this morning, for all of us who are Christians here this morning, I want to remind us all just who it is that will be walking with us each and every day of this new year. Just who it is who is for us each and every day of this new year. Just who it is who is working out his good and perfect will on our behalf each and every day of this new year. And for those who are not yet Christians, I want to show you just how great and worthy of our devotion and service Jesus is. What a great Savior Jesus Christ is. So we will begin this new year with our focus right where it should be, right where it must be, on Jesus Christ. So let's look at one of these great statements of the person of Jesus in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Let me read it for us. The author of Hebrews begins, he says, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets, in many portions and in many ways, in these last days, has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world, and he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power when he had made purification of sins he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high having become as much better than the angels as he has inherited a more excellent name than they thanks be to God for his word let's pray together Lord Jesus, we want to see you in the pages of Scripture. Your true identity is so clearly laid out here for us. We have to deal with it. We have to come to terms with it. We have to ask ourselves, will I believe this about Jesus Christ or will I reject it? Lord, we pray that each and every person in here would believe these truths about you. That you would grow us in faith and in love for you. And in service and devotion to you for the year to come. So remind us who you are today. Remind us who walks with us. And who fights for us? And who is for us each and every day of this new year to come? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Very simply this morning, I want us to see from Hebrews chapter 1, seven reminders of who Jesus is. Seven reminders of who Jesus is. Another way to say that is seven characteristics of Jesus that will encourage us and move us to worship and serve our magnificent Christ 
in the year to come. All right, so first of all, let me remind you of who Jesus is. He is the revelation of God the Father. Jesus is the revelation of God the Father. Verse 1. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets, in many portions and in many ways, in these last days, has spoken to us in his Son. God has not been silent. Aren't you glad for that? Aren't you glad that God hasn't left us to grope in the darkness of our ignorance? But he has spoken. He has spoken frequently. He has spoken loudly. He has spoken clearly. God has not been silent. He has spoken through his creation. He is speaking very brightly today. And a bit bit briskly, I might add. He speaks through his creation, which testifies to his existence, to his power, to his infinite intelligence. The, the sky is pouring forth speech day after day. And the speech that it gives is that God exists and that he made all that is. God has spoken in his creation, but God has spoken much more specifically And clearly, in his word, the Bible. He spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets. And the prophet's job was simply to communicate the message God had given to the prophet. To share the message of God. And God used many kinds of communication. Exhortation and narrative and commands and dreams and visions and stories, and parables. All of these messages in their various forms came from God at different times. The Old Testament was written over the span of some 1,500 years. And in this communication from God, God was steadily and progressively revealing himself to humanity. He was revealing his character, revealing his glory, revealing his demands, his law, his promises, and his grace. But what God has said to us in the prophets of the Old Testament is not all that God has had to say to us. The writer of Hebrews continues, in these last days, God has spoken to us in his Son. You can't get more of a personal message than God sending his very own son as both the messenger and the message itself. God's message to us in these last days has come to us in the form of his son. The word last days there does not just mean recently. But it's a technical term for that time of fulfillment, the last days, the time of fulfillment of what the prophets were looking forward to, the coming of Messiah. In these last days, these days of fulfillment, God has spoken to us in his son. Jesus Christ is the revelation from God the Father and the beginning of the fulfillment of all of God's promises. 
Jesus shows us what God is like in an unprecedented way. John's Gospel opens up and speaks to us of the Son of God, Jesus, as the Word. The eternal Word of God. The communication from God. The revelation of God. John 1.18 says this, No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, He has explained Him. The Son of God, incarnate, Jesus Christ, has explained who God is, has exposited, has opened up and revealed for all to see and know who God is. So that to see Jesus is to see God Himself. Such is the revelation of Jesus. You see, Jesus was not just a great teacher. He was not just a great moral example. He was, in fact, the living message from God himself. He is the word of God to mankind. What Jesus does, what Jesus says, all of it, is God's revelation of himself to us. And when God speaks... We'd better listen. When Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration, remember that? With Peter and James and John, and God's voice was heard to speak out of the cloud, and it said this, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to Him. This is my Son, Jesus. Listen to Him. Jesus is the revelation of God the Father and we would do well to listen to him. And we ignore Jesus at our own soul's eternal peril. Jesus is the revelation of God the Father. Secondly, I want to remind you that he who walks with you in the year to come is the heir of all things. Verse 2. Jesus is the heir of all things. This one who is the revelation of God the Father is also heir of all things. The one whom God has appointed heir of all things, as it says in the middle of the second verse. Psalm 2, that great enthronement psalm of the Son. The Son who inherits the throne. God the Father says, Ask of me and I will surely give the nations as your inheritance and the very ends of the earth as your possession. God says, You are my son and I'm giving you all things as your inheritance. I'm honoring you with the gift of all that is. Not sure what you got for Christmas, but I'm sure it wasn't all that is. It was Quite a bit short of that, I'm sure. But that is the gift the Father gave to the Son. The inheritance of all things. John 3.35, Jesus says, The Father loves the Son and has given all things into His hand. What an inheritance. What a gift. What a gift of love. 
from Father to Son, the gift of all things. Jesus Christ, as the heir of all things, owns everything. Jesus owns everything. And if he owns everything, that means he must own us too. Your life is not your own. My life is not my own. But belongs to Jesus Christ. He is the heir of all things. And therefore, as the owner, he has authority over it. Over what? Over all things, including my own life. He has a say, and not just a say, he has the authoritative say over me. Over everyone. Matthew 28, 18. As Jesus is ascending to the right hand of the Father after his resurrection, Jesus spoke to his disciples and said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Jesus, as the heir of all things, is the authority over all things. And that includes your life and mine. As the Son of God and Lord of all, God has given Jesus all things. He owns it all. He holds the deed to absolutely everything. Do we think about our life in terms like that? Do we understand that all that we have and all that we are is owned by Jesus Christ and Jesus possesses all authority over all those things? Or do we think that somehow we're the master of our fate and we're the owners of all that we have? Reminding ourselves that Jesus is the heir of all things humbles us and places us in the right perspective as those who are under the authority of Jesus and are accountable to Jesus as the heir of all things. Thirdly, Jesus is the creator of all things. Verse 2. He's not only the heir of all things, but he is also the one through whom also God made the world. God used the agency of his son to create the universe and all that is within it. It was through the son's creative power that all things came into being. The eternal word spoke the worlds into existence. And so the creation of the world came from God through the action of the Son of God. John 1, 3. All things came into being through Him. Through who? The Word. Who's the Word? The Son of God, who is the incarnate Jesus. And apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. That's pretty inclusive language there. Nothing has come into being that has come into being apart from Him. Colossians 1.16 For by Him, the Son of God, all things were created, both in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. So he's the creator of all that is. And that helps us understand a little better of how he came to be the heir of all things. He owns it all because he created it all. 
It was through the word of his power that all things came into being. We see here the power of Christ to create all that is out of nothing just by speaking it into existence. And let me me remind you here that this is the same Jesus who walks into the new year with you. Who could create all that is out of nothing by a word. It's the same Jesus that walks into the uncertainty of tomorrow with us, for us. Fourthly, Jesus is one in essence with the Father. Jesus is in no way lesser than the Father. He is one in essence with him. Verse 3, he is the radiance of the Father's glory and the exact representation of his nature. Jesus is the radiance of the Father's glory, the radiance of his glory. Not a mere reflection of glory, but the radiance of his glory. It's the difference between the moon and the sun, right? The moon does not have glory in itself, does not have light in and of itself. It merely reflects the light of the sun. The sun possesses the light. And in a similar way, so Jesus does not merely reflect the Father's glory, but he is a possessor of that same glory. And that glory radiates out of the Son, even as it does out of the Father. You can't look at Jesus without seeing the glory of God himself. Again, John's Gospel The first chapter, verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we saw his glory. Glory is of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. The very glory of God we saw in Jesus Christ. Matthew 17, again the transfiguration. As Jesus is on that mountain with James and John and Peter, says he was transfigured before them. In other words, the, the veil of Christ's humanity was in some sense removed and his face shone like the sun and his garments became as white as the light. That's the glory of God in Jesus Christ. Though veiled in his flesh, as the Christmas hymn says, veiled in flesh the Godhead see. Hail, incarnate deity. The wording here, he is the exact representation of his nature. It refers to a stamp or a die. Just as the image on a coin bears the exact image of the die which struck it, so Jesus Christ bears the exact image of God in himself. They share the same essence, the same character. Of course, John 1.1 begins this way. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, was with God, and the Word was God. 
Jesus is not just a great teacher. Jesus is not just a moral example. Jesus is not an offspring of God, a lesser God. He is God in the flesh. Of course, we remember Jesus' interaction with Philip. In John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. For now, from now on, you know him and have seen him. And Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it's enough for us. That sounds good. Show us God. God the Father. And Jesus says, have I been so long with you and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Philippians 2.6, speaking of Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. He was equal with God, but humbled himself. Made himself a little lower than the angels. Colossians 1.15, he is the image of the invisible God. Colossians 2.9, in Jesus all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. So in Jesus Christ we have the exact representation of the essence of the Father. Jesus is fully God and it is this same Jesus who has promised to never leave us and never forsake us and walk with us every day of our lives. Including in this new year. Fifthly, Jesus is the sustainer of all things. He sustains all things. Seems like the world's coming apart at the seams. Seems like everything's flying apart. But it's not. Jesus is the sustainer of all things. The author of Hebrews says that he upholds all things by the word of his power. That same word of power that was used to call all things into existence out of nothing is the same word of power that sustains all things to this very moment in time. Christ is not only the creator of all things, he is the owner of all things, he is the arrow of all things, but he is also the sustainer of all things. Without Christ's active power, to sustain all that is, all that is would cease to exist as it is. It would come flying apart. At the atomic level, everything would come flying apart. Colossians 1.15 says that he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Jesus is holding it all together. Aren't you grateful for that? In the year to come, we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what awaits us. But we do know that Jesus is keeping it all together. 
You don't have to keep it all together. Guess what? Newsflash. You can't keep it all together. Right? Despite your best efforts, there are things out of your control. There is nothing out of Jesus' control. I love what F.F. Bruce says of Christ's upholding, sustaining power over all things. He says he upholds the universe not like Atlas supporting a dead weight on his shoulders, but as one who carries all things forward on their appointed course. You see, there's a purpose to his upholding all things, a divine purpose. What happens, happens not in randomness and purposelessness. What happens, happens according to Christ's divine plan. He is upholding and sustaining all things for a purpose. And that purpose will be accomplished. It will be seen to the end and it will result in glory and joy for all believers. Jesus is the sustainer of all things. Well, this Jesus, he, you say he's God, he's in control, he owns it all, he created it all, he sustains it all, he's carrying it forward for a purpose. But how do I know I can trust him? Well, that comes next. You can trust him because Jesus is the savior of sinners. He's the savior of sinners. He upholds all things by the word of his power, verse 3. And then he says, when he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus made a purification of sins. How did he do that? How did he make purification of sins? Well, John 1.14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The eternal word, the eternal communication of God and revelation of God the Father, the Son of God, became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus became one of us, took on human form, was thoroughly human, was human as human as we are, experienced all the things we experience in this life, hunger, thirst, Betrayal, difficulty, trial, pain, sorrow, sleeplessness, all of it except sin. You and I can't do that. You and I can't go a day without falling short of God's holy righteous standard. But Jesus went his whole life. Jesus always did what was pleasing to the Father. Jesus, in his lifetime, fulfilled all righteousness. What does that mean? It means that Jesus fulfilled the righteous demands of the law for himself. So that, as the Son of God, as the sinless one, he could go like a spotless lamb and sacrifice himself for the forgiveness of others. That's what Jesus was doing on the cross. He was dying on that cross for you and for me. And for all who trust in him. Jesus on the cross became sin for us. He who knew no sin became sin for us. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. 
That's the beauty of the gospel is that Jesus takes your place. And in taking your place, he takes your punishment. He takes your sin. He takes your guilt. He takes God's judgment and he takes your death. Jesus died. He was buried. Three days later, he rose from the grave, victorious over the grave, over sin, over death, and over hell. And now he offers forgiveness and eternal life to all who will trust in him alone. Jesus made purification of sins. This is what Jesus came to do. This was his very purpose. To die for you and for me. Can you trust him? Can you trust him? He loves you so much that he died for you. Yes, you can trust him. And he'll walk with you every day of your life. He will never abandon you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He will always, always fight for you. Seventh, and finally, Jesus is now seated at the right hand of God the Father. Does God the Father have a body in order to have a right hand? Sunday school question. Hmm. No, God is a spirit. He doesn't have a body like man. Jesus has a right hand, right? Still, today, this moment, Jesus is in his glorified body. He is still the God-man and will forever be the God-man So what does it mean that Jesus sits at the right hand of God? Well, it's a picture, right? It's a picture of honor and glory and power and influence. Because of Jesus' obedient sacrifice, God has given Jesus a position of power, authority, and honor at his right hand. He's given Jesus a name that is above every name. Mark 16, 19 says that when the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and he sat down at the right hand of God. This was in fulfillment of Psalm 110 and verse 1 that says, The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool at your feet. That's the place that Jesus presently occupies. The seat of honor, authority, power, and glory. That Jesus is seated at God's right hand pictures the completed work of sacrifice that Jesus, our great high priest, has made for us. Unlike all the old sacrifices for sin that had to be repeated again and again, something which the book of Hebrews makes explicitly clear, unlike those Old Testament sacrifices that had to be repeated, Jesus' work was finished. And that's what he said from the cross. It is finished. All was complete. The sacrifice was sufficient to pay the price for sin. And so Jesus sat down. You know, in the tabernacle and the temple of the Old Testament, there was never a seat inside. There wasn't a place to sit down. It was a place of work, a place of constancy. 
where sacrifices had to be made again and again and again. And there was no end to it until the perfect sacrifice came, Jesus Christ. Having completed his mission, Jesus sat down at the right hand of God the Father. It is finished. All those who trust in Jesus Christ need trust nothing else for the forgiveness of their sins. For Jesus is the all-sufficient sacrifice for the sins of mankind. And he is seated at the right hand of God. This is the greatness of our magnificent Christ. He is the greatest prophet, perfectly communicating to us the very essence of who God is. He is the greatest priest, providing himself as the perfect, sinless sacrifice for sin. And he is the greatest king, possessing all authority and all power and holding title to all that is. Prophet, priest, and king. This is the greatness of Jesus Christ, and his greatness is deserving of our deepest devotion and our highest praise. And it is this same Christ, prophet, priest, and king, who walks with us into the unknown of a new year, unknown to us, but fully known by him, and promises never to leave us or abandon us or forsake us, and promises to always be with us as our guide, our comforter, and our friend who promises always to fight for us and lead us and guide us into what is for us uncertainty. This should bring to the Christian courage, joy, peace, and comfort. To those who have yet to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you have to deal with who the Bible says that Jesus really is. You can't take him as just a great teacher or a good moral example or an interesting person who once lived a long time ago. No. He is the Son of God, the exact representation of his being. He is the one who made a sacrifice for sin once for all and sat down at the right hand of the Father. He is the same Son of God who is coming back in power and glory to judge the living and the dead. Embrace Him now. As the psalm says, Psalm 2, kiss the Son while you have opportunity. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we love you, but we want to love you more. And it's passages like this that help us to see you for who you truly are. Glorious, majestic God in the flesh. Thank you for your great sacrifice. Thank you for making a purification of sins. Thank you that through faith alone, in you alone, I am clothed in the very righteousness that you earned in your lifetime. Thank you for the good news of the gospel and that we walk into a a new year with confidence, courage, joy, and peace, knowing that you go before us. 
knowing that you'll not abandon us, knowing that come what may, you'll be right there with us, helping us, sustaining us, keeping us. We praise you, Lord Jesus. It's in your name we pray, amen.